I say this to any musician that's out there. I know that we love each other as musicians, but love the artists and your audience more. Wow. Because those are the people that's paying the ticket for paying. the tickets. Right. They are the ones that are supporting us. Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This This is is Musically Hitched. Today's guest knows a thing or two about paying it forward. Many know him as a world-class guitarist and creator of the International Musician Summit, a learning and networking platform for many of the industry's A-list performers. What you may not know is the story of Hard Knocks and lost opportunity behind his smile. In this episode, Kevin Wilson discusses everything from receiving a surprise call to tour with gospel legend Shirley Caesar, to how he transitioned from football to the Navy, then ultimately selling out to music. He also discusses what it's like touring up to 270 days a year, how to secure endorsements, and how the summit was the catalyst for connecting musicians like Francesca Simone to a life-changing opportunity with Beyonce. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Musically Hits. I'm your host, Zach Reynolds Jr. We are here live today in my home state. I'm very happy to be home here at Rollywood Studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I am here with a great friend and an incredible guest today. We have with us Mr. Kevin Wilson. Kevin, how are you? I'm great, Zach. Good to see you, man. My pleasure, man. I'm so honored. glad you're here, man. Man, this I'm honored. Great Thank you so much for the call. Great conversation. So yeah. we're here. This is your town, <laughs> Raleigh, North Carolina. <laughs> There's not many people <laughs> in Raleigh that don't know Kevin Wilson, but there's not a lot of people around the world that don't know Kevin Wilson, but you are one good brother and you are the the epitome of Musical.ly is. Wow. You, you fit so well. And I know that today's conversation is really gonna encourage a lot of people. So how about we just jump right in? Oh, sounds good. So I always like to start with where your where your musical journey got started. So just take us back to your origin. Wow. Uh, you're not from North Carolina. I'm gonna yeah. let you tell the story, but okay. where did you come from and how did you get musically hit? Well, I am originally from Long Island, New York, mm. a little town um, called Amityville. And I'm sure that most people heard of the Amityville Horror yeah. and whatnot. I used to live in Brooklyn, so I know about Valley Stream and yeah. some of the places out, out, out on Long Island, but tell yeah. us more. Yeah, from Amityville, um, um, six brothers, no, six in our family, Okay, um, four boys, two girls. My mm. father is a pastor and really? was a pastor, and my mother, she was... Um, you know, the first lady of the church. And so um, my father had a really small church mm. and he didn't have musicians. So of course, what he did was he encouraged our family to become musicians. So it became my oldest brother, Charlie, was his name, Charlie Wilson, ironically. Really? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie is my oldest brother. So he started playing guitar and my um, brother under him started playing bass guitar. He was playing bass, right? So I thought, man, because most young kids want to hang out with their big brothers. Yeah, sure. So sure. they were playing guitar. One was playing guitar, one was playing bass. 
So I figured in order to be able to hang out with my brothers, mm-hmm. I need to learn how to play the guitar or something so yeah. I can kind of hang out with them. Right. So that's where it started. Honestly, my father was the first one that started playing guitar. Wow. Yeah, my, okay. my pops, he was a guitar player first, and then my brother picked it up. Mm-hmm. And then my brother and him, like I said, were playing bass. And so I just decided, I said, well, I'm gonna pick up the guitar and start playing, get, start nice. playing guitar, yeah. So it started with your dad. Yeah. So he doesn't, he never mentioned anything before him in the genes or the bloodline that said, here's where he got started. So Buck started with him and it continued with the boys. Yeah, it. Uh, he was a big a quartet person. He loved quartet music. Okay. So there were people in our area that played that he, you know, came up with and you know, um, that's how he started with his playing. Mm-hmm. And then my brother got it from him and then I got it from my oldest brother. Okay. And that's how, that's how I got started with it. Wow. Yeah. So at what age do you, do you remember the age when you started? I think I was probably like seven. Seven years old. Yeah, seven, yeah. Okay. Cause I think my first um, playing out with an artist or group per se, I think I was either nine or 10 years old, mm, Okay, I began to start playing with different people around in the New York area. Wow, so yeah. seven years old, Yeah. how long would you say, if you can recall, did you take lessons or did you learn by ear? No, no, I didn't take any lessons. It was just people in the neighborhood, in our area, who um, played and I would just watch them okay. and just listen to them play and just would just kind of practice and yeah. try to emulate what they were doing, you yeah. know? You know, so that that's that's where I grabbed it from. So how how long would you say it was from seven to the time you were comfortable playing? You said you started playing out publicly with groups, et cetera, at 10. Were you ready around like nine and you just waited or was it did it literally take like three years before you like, OK, I'm going to step out and actually do this for the first Honestly, time? Honestly, it wasn't even it wasn't like I went seeking. OK. Um, what happens is like you playing at church, if I'm playing at church mm-hmm. and my father would have different groups and stuff cause he would promote stuff, right? Okay. And he would have different people come to the church and I would be playing, I guess, for the, the church service. I, they, they didn't call it praise and worship back then. Yeah, right, right. It was just playing for the service, right? Yeah, right. So people would hear me playing and they was like, wow, that kid could play. Yeah. You know, so they asked my dad, said, well, can he come in and, and help us out or whatever? Okay. And that's what I just started, you know, playing with different people. Yeah. So it was confirmed early by other people. So you you knew you were getting good. Your, your brothers were probably giving you some candid feedback. Right? Your dad, I'm sure. <laughs> but eventually some strangers started saying, hey, that, that, that kid's got something. Funny because I never thought that I was that good. Okay. Um, my brothers didn't really say that I was that good. <laughs> they never do. <laughs> they never do. But people would say, "Oh, you got something. You, you know, I, you know. Good. Let's see, let's see if you can, you know, sit in and play with us and see, you know." Yeah. And I would be just excited to be able to play with with people because I just I was around it all my life, so right. I just wanted right. to be a part. Once I started to play, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, are we playing gospel music only at this point? Are you venturing out into other genres? Was, was that allowed in your household? It was not. Okay. It was, okay. It was not. Dad was a pastor, right? So, Dad yeah. was a Kojic pastor. Oh wow! Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what we used to do. Um, Dad, he was a he was a brick mason. So when he would, he would get up early in the morning mm-hmm. and he would leave. But when dad left the house, we would uh, get my sisters and you know, had 45s and whatnot. I'm telling my age, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, my sisters know we so we would play the the, the R&B music or mm-hmm. whatever. We get a chance to hear it 
when dad wasn't in. But as soon as we seen dad coming around that corner, because we lived in a cul-de-sac, <laughs> we were scrambling to hide it. We got to, <laughs> here come daddy, here come daddy. We yeah. throw everything. Well, at least you can see him when he turned right. in the corner. Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's awesome. So yeah. what was some of your, if you, uh, I'm sure you recall, what was some of your favorite artists that you had to sneak and listen to when dad was gone? Earth, Wood & Fire. Oh, man. Um, Brass Construction, Ohio Players, mm. uh, the Isley Brothers. Yeah. You know, those are those are the guys that I listen to. And it's funny because a lot of those bands had strong guitar players. Yes, they did. You know, so right. I would listen to them. Isaac Hayes, mm -hmm. you know, people like that. And there was um, uh, a band in New York used to call Crown Heights Affair. I don't know if you remember that band. Crown Heights Affair. Yeah, there was a band there. They yeah. were super hot. Nice. And we would listen to them, or I would actually get a chance to go to different places and see them, or we'd go to the beach, because a lot of times at Jones Beach, they would have live music. Okay. So we would get opportunities to see those, you know, kind of bands play. That's great. But uh, Dad didn't play that, or they call, yeah. he called it devil's music. We couldn't. <laughs> Well, well, here's the thing. See, Earth, Wind, and Fire said you can't hide love, right? That's so, the truth. so when you started playing, did was your dad able to tell that you were studying other genres? Because it comes out. I'm gonna tell you what happened. My cousin um, had a band, mm -hmm. and they needed a guitar player. Okay. For a high school talent show, so I, he asked me if I could go and play. So I said, okay. I said, but we can't let Daddy know that I'm going out to, to do this because I he would tear my behind up yeah. so we went out i was able to sneak out and it was funny because we won the talent show but when i got home dad had the belt out oh wow i was like what what did i do he said did you know that you were on the news and i seen you up there playing with that band so so the new <laughs> the news uh covered the talent show wow and showed me on stage with there you go can't hide love. Can't. That, that's it. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He didn't beat me though. He didn't beat me. Okay. He just. He was kind of disappointed I was doing it. Yeah, yeah. But I think that he's seen something in me that mm -hmm. you know that that allowed him to kind of loosen up and say, well, this is probably one day. This is what he's going to be doing for a living. So yeah, yeah. Wow. And that's and see, and it happens early. So I mean, you're a father yourself, so you can see talent and potential in your kids or you saw it yeah uh, probably early on maybe even before they did yeah. so that's that's good that he did and he didn't try to quench yeah the gift because imagine if that had happened like we what we know about you on the musical side anyway right wouldn't exist it's right. like parents play a, a really pivotal role yeah in in nurturing and developing gifts and yeah. that's something that as a father myself i i really really take that seriously because you just you just don't know what you got exactly on your hands you know exactly and that and that was a very honest gift you got it honestly and it came from him so mm -hmm. i'm sure he knew you know you guys were going to take it to a, another level mm -hmm. past where he did were you thinking at that time i think i can do this dad might have a hunch now mm -hmm. that that you got something here and maybe you could make a go of this mm -hmm. when did it click for you that I think I'm going to be a guitar player for the rest of my life. Well, honestly, it didn't click until later on. I think I was about to come out of high school okay. because I, I was playing football and I had a lot of offers playing football because really? our family was a you know football family. So know? athletics is, oh, a, is a big deal in the household as well. All the boys played football, okay. you know, and everybody did really well. My brother actually, he went to Michigan State wow. and then 
he got an offer from NFL. You know, my brother under him got offered from different colleges. And, we, you know, we all got offered. So, you know, it was a choice between playing football and or the music. Mm. And I just had to weigh the two. And um, eventually it came to the point where the music started to overwhelm because I started to get noticed by different people, mm. you know. And I was actually shocked because one of the people that, actually called when I think I was 16, I think I was 16, when I received the call from um, Evangelist Shirley Caesar about going on tour with her. And I said, at that point, I said, wow, then I may be on to something. And you were still in New, you're still in New York. Still in, still in New now. York. Okay, right. Yeah, still in New York. Cause she called my house, it was it was wild because when you get a phone call back then, it was phones in the house. That was it, right. It was, you know, and the phone rang, it was like two in the morning. And when somebody calls you at two in the morning, is is death or somebody's in jail? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right, right. You know. So my mom picks up the phone because I can kind of hear because the phone rings throughout the house. My mom picks up the phone, and she says hello, and I, and I can hear her talking. And she comes to my room and she says, Kevin, you got a phone call. I'm like, who's calling me at two in the morning? I said, you know. She, she said, is is Shirley Caesar on the phone? No. <laughs> I said, are you serious? She she says no. So I get up and I said, hello. She says, yeah. She says, this is Pastor Shirley Caesar. She said, my um, nephew, Junior, heard you playing at a concert because we was on a concert. A group I was playing with was on a concert with her. Unbelievable. And he got my information. You know, you know, a lot of times musicians exchange yeah, information. Right, right. We call it networking mm -hmm. now. Yeah, but um, yeah. so she called me. She says, that she's, he says that you're a pretty good guitar player. Do you think you'll be interested in coming out and working with the Caesar singers? And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Oh no. Wow. Oh no. But I'm still green as a, a blade of grass. I'm That's telling just, you, yeah. I'm so green. I could play, but I really didn't understand about being a musician, a professional musician. Mm -hmm. Um, so I said, yes, absolutely. So she set up the time and everything. I think they were gonna be in Connecticut. Um, a couple of weeks right. um, after the phone call, and she said, "We'll pick you up at Newark Airport." Mm -hmm. And you guy got on the bus and everything, and I'm like, I'm sitting there, and I'm my mind is just blown. And how old are you again? At this I'm point? 16. 16. Years I'm old. 16 years old, and um, I'm getting on the bus, and I'm seeing all these people that I've seen on television, or I see on records, I see their names on the credits and whatnot. And I'm just scared as I don't know what. I was, and I'm feeling so out of place. Wow. So we go to Connecticut. I don't even remember the part of Connecticut we was in. But it was this huge auditorium. And I'm talking about thousands of people there. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing there with a little red jacket on <laughs> and a little small bow tie. <laughs> and, you know. Stage ready. St yeah. st and listen. And then she starts singing. Because. I had none of her music. I had never rehearsed none of her music. I had wow. albums to go by, so I had to listen to the albums mm -hmm. and try to learn the music. And you never, at that point, I couldn't really grasp. I, I felt like I was hearing the right things, but you couldn't really grasp it until you really just get in mm -hmm. and do a rehearsal and yeah. you know find out the ins and outs of what's going on. Sure. Um, so we're on stage and. You know, I'm playing and I'm thinking I'm doing okay. She keeps looking back and Shirley Caesar is not bashful about telling you how she feels. She's not. <laughs> She's not. So she looks over and says, little boy, what are you doing? 
<laughs> so I'm shaking in my boots. And, you know, we get through the concert. I get back on the bus, you know. And she, her, on the bus, she has her state all the way at the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. You know, so she has somebody to tell me, just come back to back. Um, Pastor Shirley wants to see you. And so I go back there and she says, you know, you're, you're a good guitar player, but I don't think you're the one for me right now. She says, she said, maybe eventually later, you, you know, you'll be seasoned enough to be able to play. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with uh, artists of my magnitude. Wow, okay. And, you know, so she took me back to the airport where she picked me up. Mm. My dad picked me up and I went on back home. But one thing about that whole situation, mm-hmm. I didn't get discouraged. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, I, how did you respond? Because that is the moment yeah. where for some people, that's it. That's it. They hang it up and they say, this is not for me. She just said, you're not for me right, right now. now. She didn't even tell you to stop playing. No. No, because she said that I had a gift. She said, mm-hmm. you have a talent. She said, but it's just not at the level that I needed to be. Right. Because she was, she had like Chris Johnson um, out of Chicago, which is an amazing guitar player, really mm-hmm. good friend of mine now. Right. And then another guy by the name of um, Ron Meadows was another guitar player that worked with her mm-hmm. and different ones. And these guys are really great guitar players. Um, but at that point, they weren't with the group, and she, you know, she laid heavily on guitar. She liked guitar, so right. so she was trying different people. But I wasn't the one. But like you said, um, it didn't discourage me. What it did, it made me go back and evaluate myself as a musician mm-hmm. and say I need to dig in. Mm. So I went back and got in my room. I got and I got records from everybody, mm. and I began to practice. Mm-hmm. practice. I didn't do anything. I slept with my instrument. Um, I gave up football. I gave up dating girls and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. My whole focus was my music wow. and being able to to perform at a level where I would be able to do this thing as, as a professional. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I didn't care about anything other than my music. You know, even my education went lacking. Because right. I didn't want to do anything but play my guitar. Wow. And my parents told me, I said, okay, if you don't, then if you don't do well in school, then we're taking away your guitar. So mm-hmm. that's that's way I would go ahead and, and do what I was supposed to do in okay. school. So still in high school. I'm still in high school. This is like your senior year coming up though, right? Well, you're, you're I was I was, yeah, close to my senior year. Okay. Because if I can go back for a minute, yeah, sure. I actually had an offer and I didn't even know about it until until I spoke to the leader of the group. But I had an offer when I was 14 to go out on tour with the Mighty Clouds of Joy. Wow. Yeah. But it was I never knew about it. What they did was they contacted a promoter in New York by the name of Big Dan, the gospel man. Okay. And he knew me and they went through him and he, he went to my mother and asked my mother if I could go out on tour with the Mighty Clouds. She said, absolutely not. Hmm. He has to finish high school before Hmm. he does anything. Once he finished high school, then it's up to him what he wants to do from there. But I had to finish high school. Wow. Yeah, so, but what what I did was I started focusing more on playing guitar and understanding the Hmm. instrument as a whole, you know, learning the ins and out of the guitar watching um, ones that I admire and actually would sit down and play with some of these guys. I had a opportunity to play with um, a gentleman by the name of um, Otis 
uh, and he was the guitar player for Isaac Hayes. Okay. And he would sit down with me and just teach me and tell me. And I mean, I would be at the point and I was in tears because it was back then, they didn't care much about your feelings, you know. Yeah. Either you play it yeah, right. or you just go. That's it. Right. It was no joke, you know. Right. Uh, you know, times now is a little soft. Everybody's <laughs> a little, a little, <laughs> a little weaker. <laughs> they can't, you know, they wouldn't probably would be able to take these things. But mm -hmm. listen, back then, you know, they would give it to you once or twice. And if you didn't get it, you just, it, it was it a was wrap. a wrap. Yeah. It was a wrap. So we had to learn fast. I had to learn fast. And I learned to pick up pretty quickly. And um, I was able to work with different people who helped me out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot, uh, you know, a lot of times it was musicians, not even musicians, but singers that helped me out with my playing. Wow. You know, because they would say, your, your instrument is like, a voice, mm -hmm. and you should approach it as like a singer would approach singing, you know? And that's why I started listening. You know, I started listening that way. Fantastic. Yeah. So your mom has realized maybe a lack of maturity at 14. Yeah. But the talent's there. Yeah. The talent's still there at 16. You get a, another call from another legendary gospel artist, mm -hmm. and then she wakes you up. You say, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And then in essence, you, not intentionally, but we all have dropped a ball musically, if we're yeah. honest, right? And so that is a pivotal moment mm -hmm. for you. It sounds like you there was a paradigm shift was like, okay, I've got to sell out to this thing. So what would you say to someone who's on the fence right now? They know they're talented to our listening audience, mm -hmm. but they maybe haven't had that moment yet. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to lose to gain. What would you say to that person who's on the fence? Their talent is there, but they it hasn't been confirmed by others yet. I tell them like this, and it's not even musical. Mm. Think about, think about Michael Jordan. When he was in middle school, going into high school, he didn't make the varsity. Right. That's but right. look at where he did, or the history that he created. Mm-hmm. So don't quit. Don't allow that to deter you, but make it a um, uh, make it where you're more empowered. Go for it. Do not quit. Never give up. Powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah. Wow. So we graduated from high school. Um, after I graduated high school, I ended up going on tour. Mm. I ended up ended up playing um, with a group out of, they're based out of Milwaukee, but um, they were based in North Carolina. Mm. Okay. And then we, I guess that will segue into me telling them how I ended up in North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, of course, right, right. That's coming. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But um, they were based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and but they lived. The lead singer lived in Goldsboro, mm -hmm. and the group was is called the um, Supreme Angels, mm -hmm. Slim and the Supreme Angels, right. and that's where I took my first real major professional tours with them. Wow! But what I did though, um, I ended up getting out of school. I played with the Supreme Angels for a few years, mm -hmm. but I did want to continue my education that was still important to me. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I went into the Navy. I ended up going into the Navy. Wow. And I ended up getting a uh, degree in engineering 
in the Navy, you know. So wow. I was able to get my education there, serve my com- uh, country for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then after I finished that, I went back into music. So how long were you in the Navy? Four years. Four years. Yes, sir. Okay. So four years. And then what happened with the connection between with the Supreme Angels at this time? Well, I was still, the Navy. Yeah, yeah, I was still connected to them. I didn't play with them. But I was still connected to that group, you know. Um, the members were friends of mine. The lead singer was still a really great friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So I was able to still keep that connection. And then while I was out with the Supreme Angels, I made connections with different artists. So, you know, people, I had a pretty good reputation for being a decent guitar player. Mm-hmm. So once I came out, I still had to sharpen my skills because when I was in the Navy, my focus was not guitar. Yeah. Although I, I was able to pick it up every so often. And then I was stationed in Norfolk. So when groups like Luther Barnes and different ones would come into Norfolk, I, if I was available, I would go to their concert or I'll go and hang out with the musicians and okay. I would sit b- back and play with some of the guys. So you stayed plugged in. You, oh, weren't, you weren't on the stage as yeah. much, but you were still you still had your guitar with you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So I was able to do it that way. And then once I got out, then I went back into um, doing the music, you know. So the Navy is providing a level of discipline that is, I mean, that's unparalleled. Yeah. That's that's somewhat extreme for for discipline, right? Yeah. But you noticed it. So there was a seed planted as well. And this is about character development. You're recognizing in the character of the leaders of these quartet groups a leadership quotient that you feel like you need in your life? Is that is that one of the reasons you pursued the Navy? Absolutely, absolutely. But it also, it taught me discipline in music. Mm. You know, it's not just character, you know, because in music, you have to be a discipline, you have to be disciplined yeah. or else it'll be a disaster. You can't it, just be a nice guy. You no, can be no, a no, nice no. guy, but you, you can be a nice guy and be sitting at home exactly. if you're not disciplined enough to learn the parts, learn play the, the parts. record, et cetera. Learn the parts. Okay. And like I said, you know, anything with more than two heads is a monster. <laughs> it is, honestly. You know, um, everybody should has a role that they play. Mm-hmm. Everybody is just like a highway or we can use communication, mm-hmm. talking. Yeah. You know, if you have a room, a room full of people and everybody's talking at the same time, nobody's really being heard. Right. But if everybody have their time to speak, or every musician play their part, mm. it it just flows beautifully. Right. And one of the best lines I've heard in a movie, and I'll never forget it, is drumline. Hmm. One band, one sound. Yeah. Yeah. One band, one sound. Right. And if a band is playing or we're talking, and we're able to talk to one another, not at one another. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Communication. Music is communication. Right. And discipline plays a huge part in that. Because if you're, if I'm in a band, I play in a band at, a ch- at my church. Mm-hmm. We have two horn players, organ, piano, mm-hmm. bass player, and drummer. Wow. But if everybody is doing whatever they want and forget even that we're accompanying a singer. Right. Right. It's a mess. Come on. Right. It's a mess. But if everybody plays their role, mm-hmm. everybody does their part. I play the guitar line. Organ player play, plays his pad. Mm-hmm. Main keys plays his piano. Yeah. Bass player plays, holds down the bottom with the drummer, the relationship between the bass player and the drummer. Right. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, hand in glove. It's, it's it. a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm sure that you came across bands who are 
talented individuals. At, you can have the dream team band, yeah. but is everybody shooting at the same time? Right, right. Nobody's playing defense. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's doing anything. It's a mess. That's not called music. That's called noise. It's, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a great point. So the discipline that it takes, we want all of our listeners to understand that the discipline that it takes to do this is not something to just kind of turn up your nose at and, and I, I got this. Just because you've got your part, there's dynamics, right? There's tone. There's tempo. There's all of these things that you are just on your part. You mm -hmm. have to master before it can gel, mm -hmm. as we said, hand in glove mm -hmm. with the rest of the band. And it's actually a form. I've always thought of it as, you know, Aretha said R-E-S-P-E-C-T, mm -hmm. right? It's a form of respect. It is. When I don't play during your solo, that means I appreciate you as an artist. We're, behind, we're backing an artist. But in this particular moment, even in that artist show, yeah. you're now the artist. Yeah. You've now taken center stage, and just like we wouldn't play all over a, a vocal yeah. solo, yeah. we shouldn't play over your, your guitar solo, well, the drummer solo, et cetera. You know, well, you know it's, it's a role that we, we play as musicians. Right. And any great musicians will tell you that they would actually love to hear everybody's instrument mm -hmm. in a setting. I love to hear the guitar, but I love to hear the whole band I mean, I want to hear everybody because it becomes really musical yeah. and it feels so good. Yeah. You know, that's that's a great feeling. And you I'm sure you've came across situations where um, somebody may have been overplaying whatever mm -hmm. and you had to tell them to scale it back or right. you have to scale it back. True. You have True. to be the, the adult or the mature person yeah. and scale it back and say, OK, well, I need to lock this. Mm -hmm. This have to be locked um, because honestly, everybody does not have a ear for music, mm. but they understand what they can hear. Yes, right. You know, yes. the average person that's not a musician can feel something that's not right. That's right. They can feel that's it. Right. They may not be able to put their finger on it, mm -hmm. but they can feel that's not, that something's not right. Yeah. The most disciplined band that I've ever heard in my life was James Brown. Oh yeah, yeah. When you, when you said one band, one sound, yeah. I thought about James Brown, what did you say? Was it one note, one sound, or was it one, one band? band. Mm -hmm. Yeah, was you know, Mr. Brown as as yes, <laughs> Bobby Bird called yes, sir. was uh, was one note, one note. He said one note. It doesn't get more simple than one note. But look at look at what he did. He had two drummers, mm -hmm. maybe two or three guitar players, mm -hmm. you know, bass player. But they were locked. The horn locked. section they were locked because everybody played a role. Yes, sir. Somebody just went chick. Check on the guitar. Mm -hmm. Other person was was doing something else. Yeah, but it all it all worked together. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, undisciplined musicians couldn't have played for James Brown, one of the most legendary band leaders of all time, songwriters, yeah, entertainers. You know, hands down, businessmen. Yeah, but the the discipline that it took to be able to play with him mm -hmm. was second to none. You would you would have needed to have gone through the Navy. To, I, to be but see, that. that's the thing. Even that, so that ties back to what I was saying. I wanted that discipline mm -hmm. because you had a company command. It was a chain of command there you go. in the there military. You go. Yeah. So you had to do this. Yeah. My and, dad's gonna like this conversation. Oh, He's okay. a retired first sergeant from the National Guard. So. Well, you, well, I can tell it through you. I can tell the, it through the you. fruit, right? Yeah, the right. fruit. There the you fruit. Go. Yeah. You know, so you know everybody had a part to play. We had to do this. Mm -hmm. There was a team leader. There's a company commander. Mm -hmm. There's a, a chief, a senior chief. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Lieutenant. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the XO, before you got to the captain, you had to go through the exec- executive officers. There we go. There you we know, go. so they, it played a role. Yeah. So what it did was it taught me mm-hmm. that I had a role to play in music. Mm. You know, it just goes right back to that. That's powerful. So a lot of people say, man, you know, you I see you playing and, it, you know, I know that you can do more. Yeah, I could do more, but it doesn't call for more. Mm-hmm. You know, the most, the signature lines are are the things that stand out. Yeah. Those things that, that people really don't really understand. Right. But they can hear it or they can feel it. Yeah. Those are the things. And sometimes you made a great point just now, but sometimes we underestimate the consumer's intelligence. Yeah. We are literally sensitized as a as a culture to excellence in music. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Your son is a is a movie producer, director. Yes. He scores and works with music supervisors to find the perfect song, the perfect sound, the perfect tone for this scene. Mm-hmm. And if that's going to go out on the silver screen and everybody's going to see and hear the emotion that he wanted the lines to produce. Exactly. We, we don't know anything really but great music. Mm-hmm. The average consumer. Yeah. But we can tell when it's off. We can tell when it's off. Even without the ability to play it. Exactly. So it, it, it behooves musicians, you know, to to work with the discipline that it takes to produce the level of excellence that is really just normal, commonplace business that, I mean business as usual, right? I, we're I, not buying no we're not buying spoiled milk from the grocery store. You are preaching to the right? choir. Yes. That's sir. what we want. We expect to go into the grocery store and see at least what, one, two weeks out. Yeah. From the date on the. Exactly. That's what we want in music, right? It, exactly. Man. And, and I, t- I say this to any musician that's out there. I know that we love each other as musicians, but love the artists and your audience more. Wow. Because those are the people that's paying the ticket for paying. the tickets. Right. They are the ones that are supporting us. So please love your musician friends. You know, it's good to have them on the side of the stage saying, wow, but it's better to have that that grandma, if you're playing in church, to be able to feel that thing mm-hmm. or the young person out there who can't play right. to really feel your music instead of having someone who's not going to pay yeah. for it yeah. to say, wow. Mm-hmm. And that's that's it. That's big. Yeah. The consumer cre- creates the need for the stage. Oh, absolutely. Without them buying the products that we create. There's, there's there's a relationship. There's, and again, that's their respect at give and take. Absolutely. We give of our gifts yeah. and they take. They receive that. But in the process of them taking, there's remuneration. There's money exchange. And that's how we continue to do what we do as an industry. So it's, it's definitely all about discipline and respect. That's yeah. a great, great point, Kevin. Absolutely. Fantastic. Mentors. You are a mentor to many. But looking back, you're, you're now, this is post-Navy, what, with 20 maybe early 20s now, mm-hmm. going out into the real world. Yeah. Um, who were some of your mentors then, and who are some of your mentors now? Okay. Um, back then, there was one that one person that stands out, and they call him Spanky, but it's, it's Eddie Alford. Eddie Alford. Okay. And he was a amazing guitar player who would sit down with me and tell me the truth. You know, he wouldn't sugarcoat things. He would tell me the truth. And um, he was doing phenomenal things back then. And um, up until the time he passed away, he was doing some some great things. He's worked with um, 
John Mayer. Mm-hmm. He did all the D'Angelo and all the Tony, Tony, Tony. Yeah. Eric Benet, he does, did some of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked on all different circuits. He did the quartet and all that stuff, but he was one of my mentors. Yeah. Um, there was another gentleman who didn't play guitar. His name was Charles Cook. Um, he took me under his wing when I was very young. Okay. And when my family or my parents wasn't able to take me to different things, mm-hmm. he would take me to gospel concerts and, and all that stuff. And then he would actually pay musicians to sit down and play with me and, and teach me different things. Really? He would yeah, pay he musicians? Would pay them. He would pay them. I would actually stay at his house. People thought I was his son wow. because I was with him so much. But I would stay at his house and he would make me sit. At, I had my own room. He made me sit in the room and listen to everybody's music. He wanted me to learn everybody's music and said- He just saw something in you? Like this he, is someone from the community who has heard you play? And... Well, he, he was a singer too. Okay. He was a singer too. Um, but he took me under his wing because he felt like I had something. And he took me into his house. He gave me a room. He would have records of everybody. And then he would pay different musicians in the area to come and sit down and teach me different things. That's unbelievable. Yeah, he took he would take me wow. to concerts and, and whatnot. Um, the first time I performed at the Audubon Ballroom was with his with his group, you know. And right. Audubon is is famous for where Malcolm X was was murdered at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to to perform at different places. And he would absolutely make sure that I would get what I needed musically. Mm-hmm. So he was one of my mentors that actually didn't even play guitar. Wow. But he was one of my mentors. And then there was others like um, Al Dent, um, another quartet a legend, guitar player, Sugar Hightower, another mm-hmm. great guitar mm-hmm. player. My favorite guitar player. Yeah. Too. Oh, that's mm-hmm. now we're going to have to talk about shit. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that, that leads into why I started the summit was because of Sugar Hightower. Mm. Um, it was so many great guitar players. Howard Carroll of the Dixie Hummingbirds, okay. another a phenomenal guitar player that I learned so much from. But in New York, we were infested with great musicians. Unbelievable. It yeah. was unreal. Every corner, there was great musicians mm-hmm. everywhere. You could go to the subway. You could go, yeah, the subway. And yeah, you, I used to live yeah, in Brooklyn. So yeah. I mean, I know this firsthand. You yeah. just, you just, you're going to see some of the best entertainment that money can't buy sometimes exactly. money won't buy it won't buy but just like will blow your mind listen i played with this guy um when i was coming up he was a drummer but some years later i was watching something on the news or in a movie and i seen him and they called him pots and pans a guy who just yeah, stood yeah. out in um i think he was out in central park mm-hmm. and he would just play pots and pans mm-hmm. but he was a killer drummer <laughs> you know what i'm saying so Coming out of New York, there was so many great musicians that I, I learned from. And, yeah. and um, they not only taught me music, but they taught me how to respect other people. Right. You know, right. a lot of sometimes we get into a habit of looking down on musicians um, because they're not at a certain level. Right. And I learned at an early age, you should not do that. That's you correct. cannot do that. Right. You know, I'm, I teach now. I have a bunch of students that I teach now. But I tell my students all the time that I may be teaching you, mm. but I'm learning from you as well. Right. Because right. everybody has something to offer. Right. 
you know, right. so, and when you get to the point where you feel like you can't learn from other, anyone else, then you might as well shut it down. It's a wrap, right. You need to shut it down. So, but like I said, I had a bunch of different mentors that I looked up to. And like I said, Spanky was one of the, the one of my biggest influences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you got your first check, you're making a, a living as a musician. You're no longer in the Navy. Mm -hmm. Are we are we working and playing gigs on the side? Are you a full time musician now and music is literally paying the bills? Tell me where we are at this stage, post Navy. Post Navy, it was all um, music. All music. Um, one so, year when I was working with the gospel keynotes, okay, we had two hundred and seventy dates in one year. Two hundred and seventy dates. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we were working during the week. Well, artists don't work during the week, but but at that time, we would work during the week. Um, we would leave home on a Tuesday and I would get back home like on a Monday, you know, and we would have dates. We would maybe miss like a Thursday or something. But that week we, we would be working and we would go from anywhere from from New York to uh, Missoula, Montana or mm -hmm. wherever. And how are we traveling? Are we traveling by van, by bus, by tour plane? bus with the okay. keynotes was tour bus with the Supreme Angels, they had a tour bus. When I was with Willie Banks, he didn't want a bus, he wanted a van. So he had the van, a trailer, matching trailer. <laughs> yeah, so, and with the Mighty Clouds of Joy, it was a tour bus. Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. So there's an etiquette that comes with that. We won't get into all of that right now, but mm -hmm. in order for you to be a touring musician, one of my questions for you is, what does that take that is not musical? It goes without saying oh. you need to be good enough. You got those calls because you were good enough, but you can get out on the road and be sent back home. Oh, absolutely. So talk, talk to our listeners a little bit about what you learned about touring etiquette. Well, number one is punctuality. Mm -hmm. That's number one. You don't want to be the last person um, or you don't want to be late. Mm -hmm. The other thing is hygiene because that plays a part because nobody wants to be on a bus with a stinky roof. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So hygiene plays a part. Being able to get along with people, mm -hmm. you have to be, you have to be a likable person. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be on um, the person that nobody wants to be around. Yeah. Because there's the thing that you can get into a gig, but keeping that gig, yeah, keeping that tour, we got to talk about how to keep them. You right. got to, you have to be able to keep them. Mm -hmm. Doing your job, you know, just doing your job, you know, that's that's big. Yeah. You know, because a, a tour bus is basically a mobile home. It that's is what it is. You know, people have them as private coaches yeah. themselves, but you're literally living on a bus with sometimes 12. It, some sleep as many as 14 plus. Yeah, that's a lot of different people, a lot of different personalities and a lot of different etiquette needs. Right exactly. There. Exactly. Not to mention the driver. Exactly. You have people that's in the group. You have a driver. And then you had tech people, mm -hmm. you know, you know, we had when I was with the clouds, we had a, a guy that traveled with us that handled our road needs, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so you have all these people on the bus and you have to respect them and respect um, their abilities, mm -hmm. you know, and not look down on on this one or that one, because um, everybody like we talked earlier, everybody plays a role. Everybody mm -hmm. plays a part. 
And because you're not on stage, that doesn't mean you're you're not important. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. so that's important. So being able to get along with people and and being punctual and doing your job and that you know that that will keep your job. That mm -hmm. will keep you out there. You know. Yeah. So two two hundred and seventy dates. That's a serious tour. Yeah. Right. With the with the gospel keynotes, another legendary gospel group. Yeah. So at this point, you're getting paid. You're not doing this for free. Yeah. So it's click for you that not only can I make money from it, mm -hmm. but has it clicked for you that you could make a very sizable income from doing this? You can. Okay. And back at that time, you know, I was really young. So I was learning about managing money and all of that stuff. And so I didn't handle it well, mm -hmm. you know, when I first come out. And and um, and I'm not going to say this about everyone, but back in the day, um, our parents didn't teach us about finances mm -hmm. and how to save and and stocks and all that stuff and mm -hmm. 401ks and and putting back for for a rainy day. Yeah. You know, a lot of people just didn't do that. Yeah. And, you know, I had to learn the hard way yeah. that you need to put some money back. So I made I made some money, but I spent a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> and how much money we, we go here on Musical Hits because this is this is your past. We know you you okay. make probably a little bit more than you used to make when you were yeah. 22. Right. Yeah. But can you remember what you got paid in those dollars? Because we're talking what this is the 80s. Yeah. 90s yeah. we're talking about now. What was what was the going rate for a guitarist with a legendary group like that back well, then? I think with the Mighty Clouds of Joy, I think I was making um like $750 a week. A week? Yeah. Okay. So, so you weren't paid per show. No. You were paid was it by the day or was it by by the, the week. week? By okay. the week. So if they did um four shows in a week, it didn't matter. My salary was a, it's just like working a 9 to 5. Right. You know, at the end of the week, I was getting like seven. I think it was like seven fifty or something like that. And that was pretty good for nineteen. Yeah, 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 made, yeah. This was just a pick a year eighty five. Yeah, right? yeah, that was so. that was decent. You mm -hmm. know, but with different artists like with the Supreme Angels or Willie Banks or the Keynotes, I was getting paid by the concert. Okay, you know, and it really depend on how they booked it. Mm -hmm. You know, if they asked for say thirty five hundred dollars or something like that. You got to think about splitting it up among. You how know, many people are we talking who, splitting right. right here? Well, I'm not really sure. Okay. I can't remember how many people was in a group, but I would come home or get maybe like 250 mm -hmm. for the show or something like that. Or if it was a bad night, I would get um, maybe $125 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But you got to remember, and if I would have thought like I'm thinking now, if I saved that money, because I wasn't paying for a hotel, right. I wasn't paying right. for any travel, anything like that. There you go. You could just take that money and put it back and save it. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of money spent right. back then, you know? Um, so, you know, but there were bad days. Got to mm -hmm. tell you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. One day I was, um, I did a, a tour with uh, one of the groups. And I think that it was around Christmas. And I had a family. I had, I had a daughter. And, and whatnot, and I think I got paid twenty three dollars at the last show. Wow! It was horrible. Mm -hmm. But ha with a family, how do you how do you go home and say, "Hey, this is what I made"? Right. And and I guess we'll get into maybe talking about um, 
the effects of being on tour mm -hmm. and a family life, mm -hmm. because that's another thing that needs to be addressed. Yeah, you know. Well, how has, how how has being? I don't. What age did you become a dad for the first time? When did you have your first child? Um, how old were you? I was. I want to say twenty five. Mm -hmm. I think I was twenty five or twenty four. Okay, and how many kids do you have? I have two. Two. I have a daughter and a son. So, what did that do for you? As a as a, I always ask guys that I know or, or ladies that are that are mothers, how did becoming a parent and music? Because now you're you're musically hitched already, but now you're you you got another hitching scenario going on here. You got kids that are yours for the rest of your life. Let me tell you something, Zach. Just being honestly, I was a horrible dad. Okay. I was okay. horrible. Right. Just being straight because I put music before everything. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Music was my life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't dedicate the time that I needed with my kids. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say that being a touring musician, mm -hmm. you have to have a great support, but you also have to be a support. Right. Because right. that will affect your life in a negative way mm -hmm. you know because being out there on that road it can poison you yeah honestly because right. you have a false sense of importance mm. you think and i tell my my students this you think that you're the most important thing in the world you think when you're on that stage and these people are calling your name. I would walk up to the stage and I could hear people whisper, that's Kevin Wilson. Mm. That's Kevin Wilson. And you're not even the star. I'm not the star. You're on the back line. I'm right. on the, I'm the musician. I can hear, that's Kevin Wilson. That's Kevin Wilson. Mm -hmm. He's, oh, this such, this artist getting ready to come. That, that's their guitar player. Right. And that stuff gets in your head mm -hmm. and it'll start to mess with you, making you thinking that you're more than what you actually wow. are. Mm -hmm. But what I tell, my my students and I tell young musicians I said I tell you what if you think that you're that great and you're that important and all these people are screaming your name I said you go to Minnesota to the Mall of America <laughs> and just walk around and see how many people know who you are mm -hmm. they won't they won't have a clue right they don't they don't know who you are they really don't they don't you know, they know who that main artist is. Mm -hmm. And as long as you tie to that artist and they see your name on a credit or they'll see your name on an album or whatever, mm -hmm. or the graphics, they'll, they'll know who you are. But you're not that important. Right. And the small, I mean, you, we're talking about, we're talking to musicians. We've got all kinds of listeners with various backgrounds. But, mm -hmm. you know, that is a really, really small group of people that actually know the names of the musicians. So it is a very false sense of, security importance for you to think that just because you heard someone say your name i mean are you i appreciate that person yeah that pays attention to the bass or the guitar the mm -hmm. drums or whatever or the or the cowbell yeah. enough to know who that is but you again you're only there for the artist and that artist can change their mind and in, in a quickness in a, in a quickness and that's another part of that etiquette piece right where if you become bigger in your mind than the yeah. artist that hired you you're, you're, you're in for disaster. Perfect example. Look what happened with Usher's entire band. Hmm. He, at a minute's notice, decided to change mm -hmm. and went a different direction. And you can't get mad with him right? because you have to look at your demographic. And honestly, at my age, I'm, I'll be 60 in September, okay? At my age, 
the Justin Beavers don't need an old van on, on right. guitar. Yeah, right. So people like Usher and different ones, they want to cater to their demographic. They want those young people. Mm-hmm. So they have to, even though he's maybe a little older, but if he has that young people behind him, and that even goes for now how musicians are being hired. It's not just your playing ability. Yeah, image. Yeah. It's your image. Mm-hmm. You can't be 300 pounds on stage with, <laughs> with those bands. <laughs> you can't do it. They're not. Go- they honestly not going to hire you. Mm-hmm. Not because you can't play. And I'm, I'm going to tell you an example. And I'm not going to tell you who it was. But it was a drummer, great drummer, who went to audition for a world-renowned artists the artist said i love everything about you everything but you have gray hair Mm. so i can't hire you right Mm -hmm. so it's not always your talent it's everything yeah your look your weight Mm -hmm. i had a friend um just a few months ago got an offer to play with a, a humongous artist. They said, if you can get down to a certain weight, then we'll hire you. Mm-hmm. He, he couldn't do it. So are you telling me and everyone listening that if you really want, if you have your eyes on a certain post, certain opportunity, yeah. certain artist that you want to perform with, whether you're a background singer, musician, if you're going to be on stage backing this artist, supporting them, is it a good idea to pay attention to the aesthetic around the artist? Absolutely. That's and mandatory. begin to mold your image into that so that when they see you, they see themselves? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Honestly, I, I tell you what, and I, I challenge anyone who's listening or who's watching to look around at the artist today and look at their surrounding, look at their band, mm-hmm. look at their background vocals, look at everybody that's a part of that that uh, community and and see what, look and see what you see. There's a look yeah. that is involved because honestly, and you know, whether we want to believe it or not, we are attracted by a look. Yeah, we are. We are attracted yeah. by a look. So you can't get mad with these artists, but just know if you if you don't fit the bill, mm-hmm. you won't get the gig. But also understand this, understand this. There are other things that you can do other than being on that tour bus. There's so much more music out there. Music's everywhere. Yeah. Music is everywhere. Commercials, jingles, movie scoring, I mean, music is everywhere, you know? Just look at the commercial. If you want to make a, a, a decent living, you can go to uh, a commercial. Find a commercial that don't have music. Mm-hmm. Create a music score for that that company and and, and give it to them. Yeah, major tip right there. There that's it is. Very valuable tip. Yeah. Right? Because everything that's associated with music, um, there's a job behind it. There's, there's somebody doing something. So you may be a horrible, I might be a horrible guitar player. If it comes down to guitar, me and you, I'm not getting the gig. Mm. But this tour that you go out on needs a road manager. 
And my wife is a mean road manager, man. We don't ever go anywhere and we don't have anywhere to stay. There's always something to eat. Yeah. The 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 riders always advance. People talk about the customer service and that literally keeps those great musicians, those talented musicians, great singers working. Someone that you don't even see. Let me tell you something. Some of the best guitar techs will bury the average guitar player. Yeah, right. Because why? Tell, tell them why. <laughs> why. Why is a tech your worst nightmare if they start... Look, if they start sound checking before you get there. You better not let them <laughs> But you know what? They're there to serve a purpose. Yes. They're there to serve a purpose. Right. When um, a guy that used to tech for me, he did, oh, I mean, he was a classically <laughs> trained musician. And I said, if you ever play a rapper artist, I'm done with you. I'm, I'm completely fine. Right? You're fine. You are done. But yeah, so it's it's there. It's you know, there's work out there for everybody. And then my thing now is I I'll still go out and do different things. You know, mm -hmm. I'll go out with different artists and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But my thing now is I'll record more than I love recording. I absolutely love recording. I can stay right at home. I can take my time and do what I need to do right. and and lay down music all day and all like because a lot of times those guys that you see on stage aren't the guys that's tracking the music. Right, right. Very true. You Very know? true. There's a big difference between yeah. live performance and recording. <laughs> recording don't lie. Three biggest differences between live and studio. Why are some people only write for the studio versus the stage? Because when you record one you have to be precise mm -hmm. okay especially if you're going into someone's studios because time is money yes okay you got to be quick you have to be able to read music mm -hmm. in some instances some cases right? yeah in some cases you need to be able to read music and on the flip side some people are just emotional and they can perform they can they can move you mm -hmm. you know singing or playing you know um but they just can't do it in the studio right it's just not it's not there for them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I say, um, I don't know, I guess just live is just, to me, is more emotional. Mm -hmm. And you have to be, be able to do it. Yeah. But when you're recording, it's just it's so precise. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you go in the studio and you can't get it after the first or the second take, yeah. most of the time they're bringing someone else in. Exactly, right. Because time is money and, you, and yeah. we're, we're here to make, this This is not a, a time to improvise. Yeah. This is a time to nail it, have it down, and, and let's get in and get out. Because there's more There's more music to record and more songs to, to get through. And that's just, you know, in, in, in your day and even to this day, people should really know a song well enough to play it straight through. See, there was no you could you, there wasn't no, there was no punching. You no punch tape, right? We we both tell ladies now, right? Yeah, you even know what that means, right? But you had to play it straight through from intro to, to outro, real to real. Yeah, mm -hmm. real to real. Yeah. So I mean, that's 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 powerful stuff. So at the end of the day, you need to what we're saying is know your place. No, if you it's, it's it's okay if you're studio. And there are some people that are live that if they develop the discipline to do both, because you do both, you play live mm -hmm. and do studio. There's also the investment quote, because like you've got to make the investment in yourself in terms of not just the gear, the Pro Tools, the Logic, the, the right mics, et cetera, but you've also got to take the time to learn it properly. And then you got back to punctuality again. Yeah. You've got to be able to deliver files clean, quickly, 
promptly so that people can then pop them right into a mix session and go. I did a session for this young man out of Atlanta, and I'm telling you something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know him, do I? <laughs> he shall remain man. I did a session for him. And my biggest thing, I said, man, I got to make sure that it, that this stuff is right. <laughs> but it, with me, when I track, I track for the average person as hard as I do the major artists, mm. with any major artist. That's true. I because know that I, about you, personal experience. I, I, I try, I try hard to because number one, you want to do right by everybody, mm. and then number two, even if the track is garbage, you never know who's listening. You don't. That's right. You never, ever know who you may hear. not like it. Yeah. It may not be your cup of tea, but you don't know where that track is going to end up and whose ears are going to hear it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So, you know, you know, I try to do my best for for everybody. So it, even if I get a call from a Stevie Wonder or whomever, mm -hmm. I'm going to track as hard for for that Jim Jones or Johnny Jones or whoever mm -hmm. as much as I will that um, that Stevie Wonder artist or or record or whatever. So at this point, Kevin, you are you're a full-time musician. You have mentored hundreds, maybe thousands of musicians. Some you probably won't even meet. Right. Um, people know your name and there and there is a brand. Sure. Kevin Wilson is more than just a name. It's a brand at this point in your career. You started something that the world now knows as the International Musician Summit. Yes, sir. But before that, I remember it was the Guitar Summit. Yes, sir. Why did you start it? And then why did you ultimately have to change the name? <laughs> um, and we talked about this person earlier, Sugar Hightower. Okay. Great, one of my mentors, mm -hmm. great musician. Um, we became really close because we actually worked together with the Supreme Angels. Mm -hmm. and. Um, and we just became the best of friends. And unfortunately, he um, he got cancer. And this goes back to taking care of your business and having health insurance and stuff like that. But in quartet, a lot of the musicians and a lot of people in quartet didn't have any life insurance or health insurance or anything mm -hmm. like that. So when Sugar got sick and he didn't have any money to really cover his medical expenses, I decided to do a benefit concert. So I called some of my friends like Jonathan DuBose, um, Ron Meadows, I called Tyrone Jackson, um, Tyrone Chase, um, a lot of different guitar players. And then I contacted Luther Barnes and mm -hmm. some groups. And what I did was I put on a benefit at my church, the Upper Room Church of God in Christ mm -hmm. here in Raleigh. And we came together and we raised a bunch of money to help Sugar with um, his medical expenses. Fantastic. Right. So what happened after that, someone called me and said, hey, that was amazing what you did. Do you Would you consider doing something like that? Because I learned a lot just being around. Wow. Would you consider doing something like that, um, you know, bringing musicians together? I said, wow. I said, I never thought about it. I said, but let me, let me see what we can do. Mm -hmm. So I contacted a, a friend. I used to shop at a place called Indoor Storm. And they had a gentleman uh, sales guy in there by the name of Eddie Berman. And I talked to him, I said, Eddie, I said, I want to um, put together a event and bring some guitar players and whatnot, you know, together so we can kind of share some music, you know, educate each other. 
Um, he said, well, that, that'd be great. So what we did was um, the place only sat probably about 25, 35 people. So I called Eric Walls. I called Tyrone Jackson again. Um, and a few other of my friends came together and we went to the store and we just, you know, started playing and sharing, you know, right there in the store, you know, and they was, everybody was so blown away. It was like I said, about 25 people and people began to hear about it and said, well, we got to do that again. Mm -hmm. So that um, started the guitar summit. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, after doing it for two years back to back it started to take on a mind of its own, mm. you know? And I brought in the guitar players. I brought in a gentleman out of Nashville called, um, his name is Andy Reese. He played with um, um, a bunch of country, Loretta Lynn and all of those people. Mm. And then I brought in um, a pedal steel player by the name of Travis Toy. And he's on tour with Rascal Flats. He plays pedal steel with Rascal Flats. Nice. And then I brought in um, Andy Woods is another country player, um, bunch of different guitar players and whatnot. And and we just started to have some fun. But then mm -hmm. I thought, I said, okay, we have the opportunity to play together, but we need to educate as well, Right. you know? And then I started getting calls from bass players and drummers saying, what about us? <laughs> right. What about us? And I was talking to Jonathan DuBose because he was part of the event. And he says, you know what, Dr. Wilson? This way, Dr. Wilson. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Wilson, you know what you need to do? I said, what, Jonathan? He said, you know what, you're international now. He said, people, because I was bringing people from all over the world that was actually coming. We had people coming from as far as China to come into wow. the Guitar Summit. Wow. And so he said, you're international, you're international. And when he said international, I said, wow. Yeah. And then, you know, I talked to Andrew Goucher. I talked with um, uh, the musicians out of Los Angeles, the Nubel Brothers. I talked with um, Cassandra O'Neill, keyboard player. Matter of fact, I, me and Cassandra's daughter, because Cassandra's from, not her daughter, but me and Cassandra's sister went to the prom together because Cassandra's really? from New York. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, she, you know, she was out with Prince and all those people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I called her and she came and, and, um, brought in some great Calvin Rogers and, um, um, um Jeremy Haynes, who's at Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Jeremy came and, um, had ba uh, Rick Wofford and Joey Wofford. And I mean, then it just, Eric yeah. Gales. These are just some, I mean, these are some major names right here. These are, you know, and a then, who's who. Yeah, of, of the who's who. And yeah. then Paul Jackson Jr., Doc Powell, um, Isaiah Sharkey. Yeah. You know, all these guys. Do your homework. If you don't know these yeah. names, do, make sure you do your homework. I, if You may not know him, but I promise you heard, you heard him. <laughs> Paul Jackson heard him. is one of the most recorded guitar players in the history of music. All time, right. All time. And one of my best friends. Awesome. One of my best buddies, you know, Doc Powell, one of my greatest friends. He was in my wedding, mm -hmm. you know, um, but those guys started coming, yeah. you know, and it just blew up, man. And then I, I had the Potter's House Band, um, Jabari Johnson, um, even had um, uh, Kenny Lennett's wife, Tasha, mm -hmm. Tasha, Tasha Lennett. Cobb Lennett. Yeah, 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 Tasha Cobb Lennett came and we had, um, what is that? Um, that Two Live Crew, what's that rapper? Uncle Luke. Yeah, those yeah. guys, they came through. 
you know that's great you know that's great. different yeah, and so yeah. we had we had some everybody so then when after hearing jonathan say international i said you know what he's right mm -hmm. so that's when i came up with the name the international musicians summit thank you jonathan dubois yes <laughs> jonathan. that confirmation we were yeah, talking about earlier yeah. sometimes you don't see it you're already doing it yeah but other people see it and they confirm it and, and then it's like okay wow this i needed to hear that so that I could act on it, and that's that's great. That's but you great. know what's crazy though? What's crazy is people know me for the International Summit, and they don't even know that I play guitar. Isn't that great though? It is. That's amazing. I went to Dallas. I was in Dallas, and I was in a music store, and a gentleman walked up to me. He said, "You're the guy from the International <laughs> Musicians Summit." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, I, yeah, I had something to do with that." Uh -huh. But you know what? I had I have great support. I can't just leave out. It's just all about me. But mm -hmm. if, if it wasn't for the connection with Jonathan DuBose, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have connected with Paul Jackson yeah. or uh, Doc Powell That's because right. he he actually stood for me mm -hmm. and he would tell different people about the summit. Yeah. So and then once I connected with Doc, mm -hmm. I was connected to the director um, of Babyface. His name was Michael Rapole. He's no longer with with Babyface, okay. but I was connected with him and Fitzgerald McGill connecting me with people. And then companies started getting involved. Mm -hmm. You know, McPherson Guitar and different Sam Ash was with part. You know, sponsors and whatnot. So you know, networking and, and relationships with mm -hmm. different people means everything. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, just your your view on how networking has impacted your life holistically. Music is one part, but we'll come back to to this in a second. But how has just networking in general helped you to advance as a person? Let me tell you something. Networking is everything, honestly, because as we spoke, my foundation was quartet. Mm -hmm. So that's only a small portion of the, the industry right so without the networking of connecting with the paul jacksons and doc powells and and different ones people would not know who i was right they would have no clue you know um i had a friend who connected me with um, john b because i did work with john b my um my best friend in new york his name is brian larota was the manager for Stevie Wonder, okay. you know? So all of these are connection. This is a networking, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, Eric Walls is connected to Beyonce. He helped write her project and mm -hmm. produce her project. Eric Walls worked with different musicians. And I'm telling you, every time Eric would speak and people would ask him about his playing, he would always refer back to me. As being his mentor wow because he, i was one of his his teachers i think eric was 12 or 13 when i started teaching him guitar oh wow you know okay. so he would always refer back to kevin wilson mm -hmm. you know and recently when i told him that i was going to start teaching he actually made a, a video clip and posted it and it went crazy and then okay. i started yeah it started getting people calling me from everywhere mm -hmm. but i i tell them immediately don't think because I taught Eric that you're going to end up playing like Eric. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that may not happen. Eric put in his 10,000 hours oh, all the time oh, ago, right? Oh, so, listen. Yeah. Oh, yes. 
But so networking is, I mean, that's the whole ball game, you know. Um, I have a friend named Anton Porter. He was a guitar, well, he's still a guitar player with the Camp Spirituals. But he did a session with Darwin Hobbs. He recorded a session with Darwin Hobbs. Mm -hmm. Fred Hammond heard the session, fell out, fell in love with his guitar playing. Now he's playing with Fred Hammond. You know, he did the last, Fred just did a live recording or some stuff and he's all over Fred's project. So relationships are are everything. Even back to going back to the summit, um, during the time Eric Walls was working with Beyonce, Beyonce was actually looking for all female band. Mm -hmm. A young lady that I invited to the summit, she was living, I think in Boston, she was going to Berkeley. Her name was Francesca Simone was there and she didn't want to play. But I told her, I said, I want you to play because you have a gift and I want you to share it with with our attendees. Right. So she got up and she played Giant Steps. We had the house band and she played Giant Steps. Eric Walls heard her. He loved her playing, connected her with Beyonce and she was out on tour with Beyonce for for the longest. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you you just never know, like when you, when you meet people we, we've talked about this on other episodes, how important it is to to leave well. Music makes us transition. You know, music is full of transitions itself. Yeah. But the life of a musician is is, is in transit. It's, yeah. it, we're not always going to be stationary. And in some cases, the, the more successful you are, the seems the more you move around, mm-hmm. the more calls you're going to get and the mm-hmm. more opportunities you're going to get. But there comes a time where you have to transition. And that's where... You know, the value and the premium that you put on relationships is on full display. Yes, sir. Because just because you got a call to play with this group doesn't mean that the group that you are with now is going to unfold, is going to end up, they may end up surpassing after you leave. They may end up surpassing the artist that you're going to. You don't know what's in store for your future. We just hope and always pray for the best. Yeah. But talk to our listeners about how to, maintain relationships even after you feel it's best for you to move on just staying in contact mm-hmm. you know there's often times where different people will come to mind and i'll just i'll call them i'll text them or reach out on facebook or whatever mm-hmm. or social media and just stay in, in contact with people right or even just going by and seeing them if you know that they're performing somewhere just go and support yeah. or if they do a project support that project right you know buy the project you know right musicians are 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 notorious for not buying you know people's music yeah but we, we can we should do that because it's supporting that that artist right so just you know staying in contact with these people talking with them checking on them you know right you know because you never know you know and if if they are short or if they need a musician they know that they can call on you exactly and 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 you go and do your best do what you do mm-hmm. you know? and we have had this personal experience i mean you know several times oh, now but, absolutely. but i can't i honestly can't think of anyone better to call if i needed a guitar player you you are an extremely resourceful person and 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 just to think going back to even pastor shirley caesar the people that that talked to you and spoke life into you even if it was a form of correction they didn't even know at that time that they were talking to the future founder mm. of the International Musician Summit. If those same legends found themselves in a bind today, they could do the same thing they did 30 plus years ago and call your line and I'm, you got to an answer I'm, for them on guitar. I'm telling you, let me 
it's happened so many times. Amazing. So many times. And you cannot believe the calls that I get. Mm -hmm. um, not just for guitar players. Um, I got a call uh, maybe about six years ago. Um, someone called me and said, Sheila E is coming to town. Mm -hmm. She needs a keyboard player. Right. Who who do you who would you call? Mm -hmm. Who would you pick? I said it was only one person come to mind. That's Bertrand Curtis. Mm -hmm. So I told her, I said, call Bertrand. Another and, Raleigh, North Carolina. A North Carolina guy. I don't know if Bertrand is really originally yeah, from Raleigh. But, yeah, but he's a Raleigh. He's makes a Raleigh, his home here yeah, as well. He's a Raleigh yeah. guy. So I called Bert. I said, Bert, um, somebody's getting ready to call you. Sheila's coming in. She needs somebody to fill in. Her keyboard player's not going to be there. Mm -hmm. Ironically, the band that I was playing with is on the same show. He's playing with the same band. <laughs> we're in the same band, so we're both on the same show with Sheila. Okay. So we do our sound check. It's at Red Hat Amphitheater. Mm -hmm. We do our sound check, and the artist happened to be Yolanda Rabin, um, and I still work with Yolanda. Okay. Um, Red Hat Amphitheater. So we go in, we do our sound check. Sheila comes in. She don't know Bert, never heard him play. They sent him the music and just prayed that he would be able to handle it. He gets on stage and they started sound checking. Mm. She looks back at him because we're all out there watching. She looks at back at him and then looks at her MD and said, whatever we're paying him, it's not enough. Wow. In sound check. In sound check. First what, time she's heard him play first, any of the music. Any, any of the music. Theory. Don't know him from nobody. Bertrand is a great keyboard player, well known in our area, mm -hmm. but not known in that outside. Until this moment. Until that moment. <laughs> Until that moment. And she said, whatever we pay him, it's not enough. It's not enough. That Monday, because that Monday, he was to start a secular job. That Monday, they called him and said, we're sending you to tour dates. Wow. Wow. Networking. Is, and I get calls like you all the time for musicians, not just guitar players, bass players, mm -hmm. drummers, keyboard yeah. players. Right. And it's so important that you hold a good relationship and you do exactly what you say you're going to do. That's right. There you you go. know, my, my thing is I'm really particular who I refer mm -hmm. because that's, a re that's on me. Right. That's absolutely on me. So right. if I say, Zach, um, I, I got a guy for you, mm -hmm. I need to know for sure that that person is not just going to be a good player, but he's going to learn the music. He's going to be punctual. Right. He's going to follow directions. Mm -hmm. He's going to do everything that he needs to do to make sure that that gig is taken care of. Right. You know? Right. right. And I vouched for you with that. That, that it's, It has to be everything you need. It's not just the music. Mm -hmm. It's got to be all those other things. When we talked about tour etiquette, when we talked about discipline, we talked about punctuality. It's all of those things. Absolutely. That would cause someone to either go up, as you say, on your list mm -hmm. or go down. Oh, absolutely. On the list. Absolutely. Yeah. Legacy. Whether we want to or not, we're going to leave one. Right. <laughs> what do you, Kevin Wilson, at this stage of your life, want your legacy to be? How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as the musician who cared, mm. who cared about our next generation mm -hmm. and have them to understand it didn't start with me. It didn't start with 
um, what you can see. It started way before us, even before me, even before um, uh, the Paul Jackson. There was the West Montgomery and Joe Paz mm -hmm. and those people. You know, and you talk about rock, you talk about Jimi Hendrix, you talk about different ones. It didn't start with, with us. Right. Remember the foundation where it came from, you know, and sadly to say, you know, when years come, it gets watered down because we forget. But there's somebody has to keep that legacy alive, that alive. And I want to be known as a person who cared about the generations to come, my grandchildren, because I have four, mm -hmm. my grandchildren, you know, and their children to understand that we have to be, you know, good to other folks and, and let them know that we can, we love them. Right. And it's important that, that we pass that on. That's good stuff. Very good stuff. What are you working on now? What can what can the world expect from Kim Wilson? I know it's a loaded question and we've only got time for it. <laughs> On episode right now, we're about to come back and probably get Man. the rest of it. What What are you excited about? What are you What are you looking forward to? I've been working on a solo project for about six years. Ah. <laughs> I'm my worst critic. I am. I have stuff, music that's prepared and ready to go, but I just won't release it. I'm just. I don't know. I've never looked at myself as a front person, but I have had so many people request music from me. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on that. Well, that's fantastic, man. I, you, you're gonna you're gonna release this project. We already know, and and our listeners are waiting for it. We are listening, and we are waiting, <laughs> and we already know he's got music done. So there's no excuse. There's other artists that um, I'm working with that I, I look forward to doing music with. But you know, I'm I'm really excited about life. I'm that's excited great. about what's happening here. Oh, thank uh, musically you. hitched is thank you. you know, yeah, and I I've been asked to do other podcasts, and I absolutely turned them all down. Wow. You know, wow. but I, this is my very first podcast that I've ever done. Wow. And it's not, like I said, it's not because I wasn't asked, mm. but it wasn't time. And when you asked me about it, I was like, I was honored to actually to move forward. And I want to thank you and your wife and your team and, and the gentleman here that's actually doing the yeah. taping. Um, appreciate the, the job that you're doing. Yeah. Um, Eric is good people. Eric. Dream, Dream Multimedia Group. Listen, when I walked in the door, it was like I had, I had known him for years already. That's the truth. You know, he's a, he's a really good guy. He's, his setup, uh, you guys can't see the setup, but I feel like I'm doing Barbara Walters 2020 or <laughs> prime time. Or, he's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So but thank you to, Absolutely. to, to you. And, and again, I say thank you so much for inviting me on to your platform thank you thank you for joining us man it's been a, it's been our honor and our privilege as well where can people find you online on social media on the web where can people facebook find i'm on facebook you can look up kevin wilson um uh, officially kevin wilson on instagram um i'm on TikTok and all that stuff if you google me you'll be able to find mm -hmm. or if you're looking for the international musician summit is i i n g t dot org okay you'll be able to find or you can just say um google international musician summit well absolutely and if people want to find you as well for, for lessons is there any anything different for them to do no they can media go through social media okay. or um they can uh email me at uh k wilson guitar at gmail k wilson guitar at gmail um but i say this if you're interested in uh, taking lessons or being mentored by because i really don't do lessons okay i mentor okay um, there's a difference yes right? um 
be serious because I'm not, they call me Sergeant Carter. And anybody <laughs> with some age know exactly who Sergeant Carter is from Goma Powell. Right. He's a rough one. Because I'm very serious about teaching because I want you to be able to grow. I don't want you to call me just for me to show you some licks because I can show you the licks, but you don't know how to place them. Mm. So that's just like having a car with no direction. Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the way it is. And I don't accept everybody because when I started mentoring, I had like over 200 people who requested it. And I only accepted 15, mm-hmm. you know, because I want to be able to dedicate that time. But if you're interested, K Wilson guitar at Gmail. Well, again, man, it's been a, a privilege. Oh, my honor. Always an <laughs> my, honor. My honor. To have you. Oh, my pleasure. Glad we got you. Your first, definitely won't be your last, oh. but but your first podcast anyway. Yeah. But but your your contributions to the world are, are not to be taken lightly. Um, we support you. We, we're rooting for you. Thank you. Uh, both in your health yeah. as well as this project that's on the way and all the great success that's to come for International Musician Summit. Next podcast, okay. next podcast, I'll be able to wear that shirt there. <laughs> I've got a parting gift for you, too. So, so we'll, we'll make sure you get you a musically. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, So you can brand it out there. Yes, sir. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us again. I'm your host, Zach Reynolds Jr. This has been another fantastic episode with the one and only Kevin Wilson. Please take care of yourselves, take care of your health, and continue to stay musically hitched. We'll see you right here, same time, same place, next week. This is your co-host, Crystal Reynolds. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Musically Hitched. You can support this podcast by following the show on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time.